I saw the whole deaf and dumb school healed en masse. And I turned around and I saw their teachers crying because they'd lost their job now. Joy is actually a skill. Contentment is actually a skill. These things come out of maturity. I would say to my younger self, there is a life available for more joy and more meaning and more adventure and more satisfaction, but it's a life that you cannot get independently. Hey guys, welcome back to the Ansons podcast. I'm Sam and we are queuing up the Ansons summer series where we've invited a few members on staff here to pick out a favorite episode of theirs and revisit some of our favorite past episodes from around the office. So I think you guys are going to really enjoy. So this is John Dale, and the first of these summer sessions is going to be my friend and personal doctor, Randy James. And we titled this episode, The Doctor Who Says Die. I have known Randy for about a decade. And what I love about Randy and about this podcast episode in particular is that Randy dives into the whole health of a person. He's a doctor who's willing to take an hour with a patient if need be. And I think you'll capture the heart of Randy's approach to health. And uh, he's actually helped a lot of us here on the team. So enjoy. Guys, welcome back. It's Tuesday. Or Wednesday or Thursday or Friday. If we assume you, you listen on Tuesdays. But today, we're finally addressing that concern of yours, which is every question you've ever had about health. <laughs> I know. How could we possibly get this all in one? Uh, we had the pleasure of having Dr. Randy James into the studio. And he runs a practice called True Life Medicine here in Colorado. And we got to pick his brain on the ways that our culture has sort of kind of brainwashed us into thinking about our bodies or not thinking about our bodies and the ways that wellness intersects the mind, the soul, the body. And man, is it a good episode, you guys? Yeah. Dr. James is one of a cadre of MDs sort of making a run at the health and healthcare paradigm in the U.S. and proposing a real alternative. So we get to get into that on a range of topics in this conversation, but driving at the core issue, what do we think it means to be healthy? Where did we get that idea? And then what would it look like to take a little more possession of it? Dr. James, thank you for coming in and spending some time with us today to talk about health, wellness, culture, all the ways that this uh, this life affects our bodies. We're very used to talking about how life affects our minds and souls and things like that on this podcast. And our bodies are a huge part of it. So thank you for coming and sitting in our little studio today. Excited for where we're going to be headed. Thank you, guys. It's a pleasure to be here. I am looking forward to this. So for our listeners, we got connected because our dad has been heading up into the mountains. And he's been getting these like infusions and things like this. And th this is so far down the rabbit hole that we had to kind of back up and go, we know very little, personally, we, me, Blaine here, about the ways that a doctor such as yourself would be shifting from the traditional American model, the way that we would assume we think of hospitals, we think of doctors, we think of the guy we probably go get our physical from once a year, how, how you would begin in that world or be educated in that world and then end up 
somewhere else. Yeah, so how did I kind of land here? So almost without fail, as we talk about functional medicine, so I'll mention that word a lot, that's kind of how we couch it, and we'll define it later on, but if you see an MD or a DO, and I'm, I'm an MD, then almost always either that person has been ill and they have encountered typical American Western medicine and they have found it lacking. And they're like, wait a minute, I'm, I'm either not getting better or this just feels like I'm just getting a pill and coming back next time. Or one of their family members is sick. Uh, in my case, my dad is also a physician and I was the sick person. So going really quick through that story as he begins to ask the questions of why is my child symptomatic but not sick all the time? And he was actually a specialist in the area that I was sick. So he knows everything about it and I got all the therapy in the traditional American sense and I was still symptomatic. Mm -hmm. And then to your question, this affected my performance in school from my sleep standpoint, which equaled less rest, which impacted me on the sports field. And so as I then got into high school and my dad is kind of using me as the guinea pig and we made a few changes that were simple but profound, it had a big impact on the symptoms, reducing them, which then was visible in the body part. And this is key and fundamental. We'll touch this point all along the way. How the body goes, so the mind goes, so the soul goes. And I would say it in reverse too. If your soul is hurt, your body is going to feel that as well. And it's back and forth all the time. There is no separation. And the Western approach simply can't step into that with a pill or with a quick fix. And, and that's why we have a lot of confusion, quite honestly. Somewhere else you've said that the medications and the ways that medicine in the Western world responds to things like the pill that we hand out are thicker and thicker Band-Aids, just trying to address the symptoms. Is that a failing on the part of the medical system or is that like an assumption of the the patient that they're not willing to change things about their life? Both, right? So, and let's be clear right up front. There is nothing immoral about medicine, about medicines, about drugs, about the, the pharmaceutical industry. They save lives. They help people. But the problem is we've created this trillion-dollar juggernaut that has such a hard time to think anything new And so the system has developed where the first thought is medicine and the system is set up that way. So when you get that nagging patient, that's like, well, I want to get underneath this and actually fix it. And it's like, well, who has time for that? I've got to get on to the next person. So patients learn not to ask. And quite honestly, most patients will have a normal doc, an MD, whatever, and they'll have their alternative ND or chiropractor or their mom, you know, and here, try this. And most people are kind of doing both. And so my philosophy is to say, well, let's take the best of both worlds. And when we need an acute, when we need a Band-Aid, I mean, if you fall and break your leg, that's why God made Percocet. It's, it's a good thing. You'll sleep. But if it becomes the continued answer and you don't understand why you need to get off of this thing, then you will have two problems right? You've, you've still got continued pain and now you're on the Percocet and now you're in the opioid crisis. So it's trying to help people ascertain when is the time to use something acute for right now and what about the chronic ongoing things? 
And of course, that's, you know, what is actually a symptom that needs attention? So in the story, you're in high school, you're a guinea pig. Somehow, in the course of this experimentation, how does the interest in this general topic of medicine, wellness, underlying causes transfer from father to son? When does this start influencing your interests and directions? So I was a receptive son. I was both bookish and athletic, and my dad was too. We had a good relationship. So as he's doing these kind of things, I'm involved. And what about this and what about that? And uh, we just mentioned a mutual friend of ours, John, and he and I are very similar. When my dad said, hey, and this is in the 80s, why don't you just give up dairy products? That changed my life. And it's like, okay, I see this. So now I'm interested. And I think that's where your listeners would be as well, is if I can make a simple change, that was a hard change to make. Very simple, give up dairy. But my goodness, that is really hard to do. And so then the motivation for doing that, you've got to have something beyond that, the why behind the what. And so even as a young person, I could see I feel better. And therefore, I am now also intellectually interested. And there is still a long way between me at 17 and then me going through undergrad and grad and all that and actually translating that into a profession, uh, which is a bigger part of the story. But even as a young person, it changed my life. It's so good. It feels like a lot of what we've been seeing over the last 15 years, just walking to the grocery store is the latest fast trend, do this, do that, get healthy, try yoga, do this other thing, and you're going to be great. And a lot of it seems unsustainable. Like your comment about the dairy thing, we've done periodic fasts personally. Like we, we had some races we did this summer and we like eliminated uh, refined sugar. We eliminated dairy for a short time. And it was really tough. Yeah. But to that degree of like when you're interacting with a, a patient or someone who's come in to be like, I really want to get these symptoms addressed and whatever might be causing them. It feels like a big hurdle is that what's going to be maintainable, what's going to be like a life shift for you rather than a 30-day fad. So I'm, I'm smiling because you guys, you're getting right to the heart. This, this is it, and that's why the name of my clinic is True Life Medicine. And so I am working for the patient. The patient tells me my definition of true life is X, Y, Z. I'm doing endurance training or I'm going to go, you know, whatever. What is God's call on your life as husband, as father, as student, as whatever? And like you said at the beginning, your body is going to fuel that mission. The problem is we all live in America. And so here we are where normal. And so here's a key thing. There has to be a perspective shift or a paradigm shift to where people literally understand that what we think of as normal in terms of refined sugars and eating dairy products and whatever else is so catastrophically extreme compared to the last 5,000 years of human history that we know about. Extreme. So what you just said of, oh, wow, it's really hard not to do refined sugars. I mean, that never has that been said in human history until the last 50 years. And now it's so prevalent that a guy like me who's going to be a little different is a weirdo. 
And what changed it for me and my family was this. Like I said at the beginning, my son got sick. And then there was a, a random issue where we needed acute medicine. And, and the system came through. He had a mass in his neck. He had a surgery. And then sort of as a consequence to this event, he developed a very clear symptom. And I was like, oh, my goodness. So we did some food allergy testing. And he's off the charts positive. We're like, how did that happen? He's a unique genetic person. And here's this surgery. It was traumatic and it happened. And I remember the day because when we got the test back and my wife and I were reviewing it on a Saturday and we said, that's it. We're stepping into that weird world where we're now we are the weird family. And I know intimately this whole dynamic at school, at church, at wherever. And next morning was Sunday morning. It was Father's Day. And the church did, guess what? Ice cream. And I had to drag my son out of the church crying because we had drawn the line. And it hurt. And he's better. And so then it's, what is your goal? And I would say this to everybody. It's not extreme to have cake and ice cream on your birthday. But the problem is we have cake and ice cream every morning and we call it cereal. And we have it again at lunch and we call it a bologna sandwich and a ding-dong. And then we have it again right after work, and we have it again at dinner. We have it again and again and again and again. And so now the fun thing of dessert that 100 years ago was unoften and was special has just bled into every day to pull away from these highly, highly addictive things is hard. It hurts. There has to be motivation behind it. And that's, again, what is your definition of true life? Don't do these things because you want to, quote, unquote, get healthy. In fact, we don't let people say four words as a patient. Because a lot of times I ask patients, well, what is your true life and what do you want? And they'll say, Doc, I just want to be healthy. Don't say healthy. Don't say happy. Don't say well. And don't say normal. You show me one person on the planet who's healthy, happy, normal, and well. Who is that person? Adam and Eve are gone long hence. Maybe they were them, but it's, it's a fallacy to think that you can get well. In fact, I promise you're going to die. Promise. So between now and that inevitable death at 85, 95, how do you define what healthy, happy, well, normal is? Right? So if I go to Sam, I get a different answer. If I go to Blaine, I'm going to get a different answer. And how in the world can the American medical system come along and say, well, you're right, we're going to say Blaine is now normal and we're not going to cover whatever Sam wanted because he wanted to run 50 miles instead of 49 miles or whatever. And what we've done is we've kind of dumbed the whole system down and we talk about cholesterol and blood pressure and weight and that's about it. And trillions of dollars churn. (laughs) I love this. Your PR department (laughs) must have a really hard time uh, if you are taking out healthy, happy, well... (laughs) And you're like, everyone's going to die. It's going to happen. Come see Dr. Shames. You will die. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. This is a short interjection. You're talking about this paradigm shifting. And some of it is just pointing to features of our moment and going, that's really not normal. And it's going to take real effort. And it's Morgan's thing of how does the fish in dirty water know what clean water is? It's really hard when it is everywhere. To oh, actually yes. identify how weird your life is, and you know, Sam, so, go ahead. I, I, thank you, and 
I'm so passionate about this, and you can tell, and the passion is not for super clean, super healthy, super in shape. The passion is really towards the young man, the young woman, just trying to work, trying to get through the day. I got to get my grades if I'm in college. I got to take care of the kid if we have young kids at home. I just got to get home. I'm looking forward to the next vacation, to Friday night. I just got to get through the day. And it feels impossible. It feels so hard. So my passion is for those people to, if you can think just a little bit differently early and be aware of the kind of things that are normal in our society that are not normal. And we have a long list of those, right? So to the over 40 crowd, if you're in America and you're over 40, it is now normal, meaning average. If you're a little bit overweight, yeah, it's okay. If you're a little bit hypertensive, if you have a little bit of high cholesterol and if you have a little bit of a gut, it's kind of everybody, totally expected. And I would say, no, all of those things are, your body is giving you a signal that, you know, it doesn't want a blood pressure pill, it wants something else. And if we go into the 30s, how many, everybody in their 30s says, yeah, my knees are a little achy. Eh, I played high school football and, you know, I overworked them back in the young years. And I would say, no, God designed you for 90 years of labor. Honestly believe that, that we should be able to work hard for all of those years. And it's going to be different. So running a mile at 60, 70, 80 is different than running a mile at 20. And in the 20s, it's headaches for the women. Women are now taught it is normal to have pain with your menstrual cycle. That's a normal, that's being a woman. And I was saying, here is a dictum that is true always, except for one case. Pain is not normal. Except one case. Can you guys think of it? Uh, childbirth. Very good. As a male, very good. Uh, childbirth. And then it makes sense. But every other time, if you have a headache, that is not an ibuprofen deficiency. If you have menstrual cramping, if you have all of those symptoms, headaches, bloatiness, skin changes, etc., it's not normal and it's not a deficiency of a birth control pill and all of those kind of things. Those things might help and people need them and they do help. But if you have a desire to say, my goodness, what is my body missing and how do I give it what it needs to not have these symptoms, then you have to think differently. Mouth breathing at night is not normal. You're destroying your teeth. You're destroying part of your microbiome, which starts in your mouth. You are not sleeping as well as you could be. And if you're not sleeping or if you're snoring, that's even a little bit worse. We live at high altitude. That puts a little bit more pressure on it. And it's epidemic, even in young people. In young people, not only is there the mouth breathing problem, but just not sleeping enough. I got to get stuff done. But if you're in that six to seven hour category, I promise you, you're hurting you. You are less than what you could be. Skin issues. So all kind of, oh, I have dry skin. Well, it's a deficiency of something. It's not God inflicted dry skin on you. It's not Colorado. It is what is not going into your body that you need. And here's a symptom. Dry eyes, bad breath, the sore anything. My neck is sore, my back is sore, my knees are sore. This is not normal, and it's not because you're getting older. Don't blame anything on age. Well, wrinkles gray hair, and death. You can blame those things on age. It's so good. There's so many ways that we assume, that I have assumed things are what everyone else is experiencing. Like I normalize my own experience. And so, okay, when I was in college, I find out that I've had broken bones, which I thought I'd never had. 
and I just had assumed that everybody's collarbone on their right side was a little weird and hurt when they run sometimes. And I don't know why it took me that long to figure out that like maybe the asymmetry should have been a red flag. Maybe I could have asked questions. But I find out that far along that I actually had this thing happen at birth that's not normal. To me, it was just a really great indicator of how long I'm willing to go with something, assuming, oh, sure, when everybody else runs, their right arm must hurt too. Like, whoa, 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 that is so odd. But I love what you're saying about that because I can That's totally the, relate. the dirty fish water that Morgan had talked about. You don't notice it. If you take a fish out of dirty water and you put them over here in the clean water, what happens to that fish in between? That's a crisis. It's disruption. And you know what it is mostly in America? The thing that opens people's eyes, you just mentioned it, is pain. Hmm. And people generally, even if they have high aspirations, they can't get out of their normal. They can't get out of their own head. That's why I think God does bless us with disruption and crisis and pain. It's a little shakeup to think, oh my gosh, maybe people don't have to hurt all the time and maybe I could run better, farther, faster if I had less of this issue. What do I do about that? But that takes insight, wisdom, vulnerability, and then you have to either accept the dirty water or you go through the crisis of the, you know, the fish is like, I can't breathe, I can't breathe. And then you plop them down and real fish really do this. When you drop them into the cool, clean water, there's a moment of disequilibrium and they're floating around really fast until they settle down again. And I think we do the same thing. And people, you know, they don't want to do that. They think, well, it might be better over there, but it hurts so much to get from here to there. And we're right back at the heart of the issue again. Why would you do that? Hmm. So good. Okay, so to take you down another path here, I know that you do a little bit of, not a little bit, from from both our folks who have done this. It's quite extensive. Your past history of your body is a category that you want to take people into and ask some questions. And I think, A, it's just a really good practice to kind of, look back and what you've been through and what your norm has been. But I can also see cases where we might be tempted to use the excuse of this happened to me in my past. Therefore, this is going to be my future now. Um, Whatever medications I was given or whatever climate I was in, give an example of a friend who was raised indoors in San Francisco and felt like he was always going to have allergies and never always kind of be fragile Mm -hmm. because he was so protected. How much do you feel, have you seen, that our past has an effect on our future and our present, and how much of that is redeemable and workable? Great question. So it is very important to understand the past, and in fact, even the deep past, if we go to your parents' past and looking into the genetic history. So the whole, well, my parents had this, whether it's high blood pressure or something like that, therefore I will have it or I'm highly likely to. That's a very prevalent thought to sort of pound home a point. I would say no. In the age old discussion between nature and nurture, the most important part of who you are today is the nurturing, who you have been becoming over time and the influences. So then we break it down. There is a genetic past, but then, right, digging into a person's childhood and what happened back then, how much of an impact does all of that have on who I am today? And the answer is 
some. Now, we would look at your case and say, maybe your traumatic event at eight, nine, 10 years old, whether that was emotional or physical or, or whatever, had XYZ impact and it, it's 50% of some issue we're dealing with today. And we would look at somebody else and it's only 5%. So now you can start to imagine, my gosh, everybody's different. Well, you're right, infinitely so. So what, yes, we're all different, but we're all human. We all have arms and legs. We all have typical kind of symptoms. And so what are the typical kind of past things that tend to be important today? Not to take you guys through our extensive questionnaire, but I do think it's important. And it's a good idea to do on a, you know, yearly basis or something like that, because what we hope to see is that as you think through your current symptoms, they're lessening over time in direct opposition to what our culture is seeing, where they're increasing over time, and we blame it on age. So the past questions that we asked, you know, was somebody born cesarean or born vaginally? And cesarean means you were born sterilely, and that has an impact immediately on the microbiome that develops from day one. And so we know if there's a C-section delivery versus vaginal, that that person has an increased chance to develop GI symptoms and symptoms with the immune system. Were they breastfed or not? Was there any kind of family trauma, nearly anything? So military families with lots of deployments or if there was a a divorce or if there was any kind of trauma, certainly abuse would be a big one in there. Uh, In the elementary years, people just live with chronic asthma, allergies, ADD, ADHD, tummy aches, skin stuff, eczema, and, and they think like you and your shoulders like, oh, People just wheeze. People just wheeze when they run or something. And, or they have very caring parents who go to doctor, 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 doctor. You get medicine, 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 medicine. And you're just managing now the symptoms, not getting to the root of the issue. Teenage years, we ask a lot about, you know, was there the wild times? How exposed were you? What was the trauma? Was there assault? Was there abortion miscarriage? Those kinds of things are prevalent and not asked about. You know, especially on a paper, people will tend not to give you the answer. But if you're asking, you're looking in their eyes, there'll be a little hitch. And now I know, and they know I know. And again, you can't do that in five minutes. You can't do that on a yearly physical. How many times have I been done with a sports physical and, you know, the mom is there and says, okay, thank you. I got my paper. Can I go now? And, you know, it's not increasing health. So then we go on from there. And then there's the typical questions of the 20s, the 30s, the 40s. Everything you say is coming out of such a unique set of presuppositions that I almost, all my questions keep going, okay, take me to your fundamentals again. Obviously, you've been talking about this the whole time, but I'm curious about what are things that you consider to be core components of health, and what are things that, if you had the opportunity and in the lives of your friends to call attention to and begin thinking about a handful, maybe a long list of core things through which you define health, what would those be? How would you do that? So you're getting to the heart of the issue again, which is great because all of us are so busy. We have so much to do that you need to be able to easily fall back on your core. 
And we do that all the time. Our society, we have, and we call them mores, we call them core values, we call them whatever. And there's a lot of debate about a lot of things. But none of us debate about wearing clothes, right? It's core value. I got that one down. None of us debate about stopping at a red light. Got that one down, right? So our functional medicine approach would boil it down to this. Number one, where are you going? Facetiously, I would look at you guys and say, realistically, are you trying to be an Olympic athlete? You'd probably say no. I'll, I'll answer for you. <laughs> I can answer too. No. No. But you're going to say, I want to run a mile this fast, run up Pikes Peak, run whatever. And if I said, well, would you? are you okay if you slide into the nursing home when you're 50? And you would say, uh, no. So, okay, that's not for debate. But if you don't know and you're floating, then I promise you, you're angling at the nursing home and not at Pikes Peak. And we see that times a million in our society. So number one, ask yourself, where am I going? And I would have sort of that year vision, three to five year vision and a 30 year vision. Number two, you are not healthy, happy, well, or normal. I will find something wrong with you. <laughs> and if there is something wrong with you, even if you said, I would love to be able to run an eight minute mile all the way up Pikes Peak, and you can only run a nine minute mile, then on my book, we're going to call you sick, right? You're not as well as you could be. Then we look at that, whether it's, I want to run a faster mile, or you say, I have a chronic stuffy nose, I'm mouth breathing, I have chronic acne, I have chronic eczema, my tummy hurts all the time, I have gassy, bloody constipation, diarrhea. And these are the kind of things floating in my head all the time that I have learned I don't ask my friends about, unless they ask me. You will have a symptom, and then I'll ask you, okay, two things, we'll boil it down to two things. Your body needs something it's not getting, or you are putting something in your body it does not like. There it is. 5,000 years of all of medical history boils down to, well, on the chronic side, so acute. If you smash your thumb with a hammer, we know why your thumb hurts. Not a hard one. And we'll take some ibuprofen, we'll go see the surgeon, whatever we need to do. But if you say, no, I didn't smash my, my knuckles with a hammer, but they hurt all the time. Do I have rheumatoid arthritis, osteoarthritis, tenosynovitis? What itis do I have? And the answer will be, well, gosh, that's a hard one. But in the meantime, take Motrin and most people just stay right there. So the pain is there and the aspiration is there. We say, give your body what it needs. Leave off what it doesn't like. So the, the heart of your answer is right here. Number one is, what are you putting in your body? Mostly in your mouth, your eyes, your ears nutrition, and then what goes in your eyes and ears? Who do you hang around with? What do you see? What do you read? What do you talk about? What do you think about? That's your input. Number two, you're going to output. We call it exercise. We call it thinking. We call it work. We call it relating to people. So the input, the output. Number three, you have to recover. So in, this, in one case, you would put nutrition in. You would exercise out. And then how do you recover? It's not just sleep. It is do you sleep and wake up refreshed? Are you rested? And if I ask most people, you can say, are you mostly well rested or are you a little bit more tired than you think you should be? Tired. Tired. Everybody says, gosh, you know, when you come to think about it. And so we say, well, it ought not be. Why is that? And a big one under that category is, how do you get to the point in your head where you say, oh gosh, I'm okay. How do you Sabbath? How do you retreat? So that's number three. And number four is the part where Western medicine really has not done a good job is the mind-body-soul connection. 
the where does the brain become the mind? Because we know the brain is an electrical organ. It runs on glucose. There's energy. There's thoughts here and thoughts there. But how does that become courage or fear or love or dread? And how does that then become your soul? So that interface where every human almost would recognize, okay, the brain exists, a mind exists, and a soul exists. But try talking to your doctor about that. You know, my soul hurts. And then you're going to go see a, some kind of psychologist or whatever, which might be the very thing you need to do. That is good. But maybe you just need to go on a run. Maybe you need eight hours of sleep every single night. And a thousand other maybes. So that's how I would answer you. Those four areas, nutrition, exercise, sleep, mind, body, or input, output, recovery, mind, body, soul. And we're always, I mean, we could talk about cancer or a hangnail, and it's going to incorporate those things. That's the foundation. That's so good. That's like the gold right there that I think people just want to hit like repeat. We should have like a little button on the app. You can just listen to that section again. But I know you, you've done such a great job of naming how each person is a little bit different. Every story is a little bit different. The way that an event will affect someone will be different than it will be for someone else. That just resonates as being very true. Now, can I push against it for the sake of a question and go, the piece on illnesses or endemic problems or input or output, like uh, there are things that you're eating or you're not getting. That is actually what you mm-hmm. were saying. Are there things that you find yourself giving advice or direction for more frequently? Though every case is different, are there things that most people in our culture without thinking are putting in our bodies that we don't need? Or on a similar note, things that we do need that we aren't looking for, aren't getting? Like, is there a short list of that? Because I really want that short list. I want that like right. printed on my refrigerator. So I'm going to laugh now. And <clears throat> my business partner, Kevin, for years, I bet he asked me that at least once a week. Mm. So what are the four main pillars? Just give me the four things I need to do to be well. And I roll my eyeballs at him and I say, well, number one, you'll never be well. And number two, oh gosh, here he goes. <laughs> it's going to change gonna tomorrow. <laughs> so, but in that context of always on the journey, there's always the next step, always the next crisis or the next aspiration. So I, I get your question. I'm going to answer it. The themes of the 20 year old, I'm frustrated with my body. So a big one is women and hormones, like I've already mentioned, so I won't go through that again, but those kind of hormonal symptoms, and they're managing and they're coping, they're, they're getting things done. Weight, you know, the frustration with body image, the frustration with weight, the fatigue. I used to be able to, you know, push through with an all-nighter in school and we could do crazy stuff or whatever, but man, I'm 26 and tired. And our culture says, well, of course, you got a one-year-old at home and a, one on the way and how could you not be tired? And I would say, well, there's, there's, there is a better way through that. The achiness, you know, my, my joints are just, I don't recover like I used to. And now I'm kind of fearful of doing that next event because it takes more out of me. I can't recover. Oh, and another big one is, is depression, anxiety. My mood is, is just not what it once was. And such a common theme would be women in their 20s and 30s are told, well, gosh, yeah, you know, you got young kids or you're really busy. And so, you know, you're just working too hard, take it easy. But in the meantime, here's some Zoloft. And again, that's okay. But there's something not right about that. that, No, I'm not depressed. I just, and so I'm talking with them at 35, 45 and saying, well, let's 
dig in, go back to the past. What happened? What's your body missing that it needs more of? And so what are those kind of the top five? Like what is, what are we putting in our body that, that our body doesn't like, or what are we not getting that we need? And I would say number one on the nutrition front, if we go down those four things. So when people ask me about a diet, I just, I just won't answer the question. <laughs> but in general, we are overcarbed. Now, somebody out there is going to hear me say, oh, everybody's got to be keto, everybody's got to be paleo, everybody's got to be on some certain kind of whatever diet. I would say, no, here's my dietary advice. Eat food. But guess what? We can't even agree on what food is. Can you buy food at a gas station? <laughs> is Doritos food? And I would say, mostly not. So, eat food. And I'm quoting uh, Michael Pollan, eat food, mostly plants, and not too much. And I would say, for most people out there, if you can get out the processed sugars, that's a great thing. If you can cut the carbs down, that's a great thing. I, have, I promise you I will never recommend that you reduce your broccoli. Go to town on your broccoli. <laughs> Darn. But, you know, people cheat on the broccoli and the real vegetable questions, you know, spinach, cabbage, kale, and they say, well, I eat the sugar snap peas and I eat carrots. And I'm like, yeah, okay, that's better than a Snickers, but those are the sweet ones. And again, people are going to say, well, that's weird. You can't even eat carrots. And I'm saying, no, no, no. Just think of the mindset of carb, less carbs than you did and more vegetables. There's, there's the bottom line thing. And if you're thinking about the future of do I buy this kind of cereal or that kind and look at the carb load and all of that, the mindset of that is, I think, the important thing rather than just being carried along by, oh, these are on sale. Or I grew up on Cheerios, so it's good enough for me, it's good enough for my kid. And I, there's a problem there. So number two on the, on the exercise front, the question I'll ask you guys for a real answer, what's the best exercise? My favorite right now. <laughs> oh, gosh. I, we're going to get this question wrong. What's the best? Yeah, you're going to get it wrong. <laughs> exercise. Um, I have no idea. The one you'll do. Oh, oh man. That's going to go like Oh, boo hiss. You know, and we're going to debate forever. Is it burpees? Is it pull-ups? Is it swimming? <clears throat> and I would say yes. But which one do most people do? None of them. Should you exercise? And I would say, yes, give me a reason not to. And so we have a culture that says, I exercise, and what they mean is two or three days a week, they walk for 20 minutes. I'd be like, okay, that's better than less. So again, somebody's looking at me and saying, really? Every day? Wow. You know, and I would say, well, it depends. Where are you going? Because if you said Olympic athlete, I know you're already doing that every day. But if you said, I want to be 80 and able to mow my lawn, and you're only doing 20 minutes of walking two or three times a week, I'd say, you're not going to be that guy. I promise. It's not going to happen. So you really don't want to be 80 and functional. You hope that you miss the nursing home, but you're angling at the nursing home. And then people say, what's the main reason? I don't exercise because I'm too... Tired. Number busy. Two, busy. Number one is busy. Number two is tired. That's 99% right there. You know, maybe it's pain or, uh, you know, I got injured or something like that. It's tired and busy. And I'd say, okay, so what you're saying is you are literally ruled by your job and your schedule and your fatigue. And our society is saying by their actions, yes. So I back up and say, well, you're my boss. I'm working for you. Do you want to be less tired and be able to walk faster? If you say yes, then one of the things you have to do is actually do this thing called your version of exercise. And the best one is the one you say, I'll do. Can you see yourself in the gym every day a year from now? 
No. What about on the trail? Yeah. I, if Every day? Yes. Okay. Then the only reason you're not doing that is because something else is going on in your life that's bumping that priority down. And you have been taught that's okay. Because you're not in enough pain and you're normal. You're not overweight. So people judge us all the time by saying, oh, you must be healthy. You don't know me. Oh, you must be a runner. You don't know me. (laughs) And I'll be honest, I don't exercise every day because I'm too busy. But I am struggling with this, honestly. And uh, I'm happy to get three or four days a week in. My kids are young, so I'm trying to figure out ways to exercise with them. And what does that look like? Uh, So I'm struggling with everybody. Number three is sleep. So when I was a kid in the 70s, it was, how much sleep do you get? Eh, Eight or nine, about. And then when I was in college in the 90s, it was about, eh, seven or eight. What does everybody say these days? Eh, six or seven. So the studies for this are there. Over the two or three decades, we've gone from an average of eight plus to an average of six plus. It's catastrophic. It's epidemic. And on top of that, we have an epidemic of insomnia. Not only do I not sleep, I can't stay asleep or fall asleep. And so these vicious cycles just get compounded over time. It starts in the 20s when you got a paper to write, you got a kid to take care of, you got a thing to do, and oh yeah, everything interesting on Facebook TV and whatever electronic thing is happening at night. And so it's hard. And again, we're talking about who's in control, your desires or your aspirations, yourself, your goals. And so on the sleep side, I would say, let's not be unrealistic and say, oh, you should get two more hours of sleep at night. But I would look at everybody out there and say, 20 minutes. Make a deal with yourself and your spouse, because that's a, that's a big thing to say, you know what? We're just gonna shut things down 20 minutes earlier. Get the kids in bed a little bit earlier everything, 20 minutes, it will make a difference. So one study I remember is if we look at the 1970s elementary kids and the average of eight to nine hours a night, and then in the 1980s and 90s elementary kid, which it went down to an average of seven, eight hours a night, every 15 minute increment, not hour increment, but 15 minutes less of an average increment equaled the A student became a B student, the B, a C, the C, a D. 15 minutes. So it matters. That extra 15 minutes, it matters. Correlating to that is the concept of Sabbath. Sabbath is what I would call, and this goes into the mind, body, soul, the hard work of relaxation. When was the last time you guys ever, on a Friday night, you had a pretty decent movie, pretty decent dinner, nice big bowl of ice cream, and, you know, it's about midnight, and you're like stretching, you look at your wife, and you're like, Mm, man, I am filled. My soul, I just, I'm, I'm filled. I am at peace. Most of the time it's like, eh, the movie was, eh. The ice cream was good, but now I feel a little bloaty or whatever, and I'm kind of mad, and, and uh, oh, I wish I hadn't have done that. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. So those are the things. Have a nutrition thought. Mm-hmm. Don't be carried by your culture. Have an exercise thought. Have a plan. And number three is be in charge of your sleep. Number four is the mind, body, soul, spiritual, sabbatical. Do take time. Americans 
do not know how to meditate or pray or just be by themselves alone. We don't know how. And if any time you whip out the phone and it's just just be in your own head and be okay with that. Those are the four pillars. So good. It's easy. It's only hard. <laughs> so the four pillars really are the better answer to the question I'm about to give you, which is you can you can have a person change one thing, and it's probably not I'm cutting out dairy. It might be more like I'm changing the way that I think about X. But if you could have every person in America change one thing about the way they live or think or do, what would it be? Change your mind. I would, I, I, and you kind of hit it. I would go with mindset. Have this mind. Have a mind about nutrition. Have a mind about exercise. Have a mind about these things. We know even if you just elevate awareness, you're better off than if you float with the culture. Change your mind. Returning to a comment you made 20 minutes ago where you were just describing if someone wanted to run eight minutes every mile at Pikes Peak and they were nine, you'd define them as sick and go, it, that's actually not different than what we do. Our bar is just at catastrophe. And it's if I well stay, said. if I have to stay home and incapable of living, then I'm sick. And you're pushing these sort of anything in our lives requires mastery, intentionality, engagement, changing your mind. This podcast obviously is going to do that for everyone. JK, this conversation is a key part of that. But if you had to just point around at, we love kicking books, films, things that are a part of this conversation for you that you would direct a person to to go to build your health paradigm, read or watch what things? That's a hard one. Because as you can imagine, there's there's so many books back there. My most recent ones, the ones that are on my mind uh, right now, The Brain's Way of Healing, Norman Doidge. We have only scratched the surface of the brain and it's fascinating and how it all works in with our desires and our hopes and our fears. On the nutrition front, to be honest with you, I'm kind of tired of reading about that. There is no diet that we can argue is right for one set of people versus the other. Um, maybe even the concept there of blue zones, Dan Butner, and and part of the, the bigger concept of health is not the diet, but it's who are you eating with? Do you like them? Stop eating in the car. 20% of all American meals are eaten in the car. Only Americans in all of the course of human food history, Americans are the only ones that talk about carbohydrate and proteins. All right? Other people talk about what mama makes us. And the Germans eat the way they eat, and the Japanese eat the way they eat, and only Americans have this incessant conversation about, you know, the right way to eat. And I would just say, go be a gourmet anything, but have a plan. And along with that, you're going to exercise. Along with that, you're going to be in relationship with people that you love. I think it comes back to your mindset, relationships, and where you set your catastrophe mark, how you define what is sick. Not me, and certainly not... Obamacare, Trump care, whatever care, certainly not your doctor, but he can help you to interpret blood pressure, cholesterol, and those kind of things. But you define what well is and what sick is. 